Good morning and welcome to another CSOC podcast. Today's chapter is 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's a short chapter, only 16 verses, and the subject here initially is the overseers and deacons for the church's administration. This is what's covered in the first 13 verses. And in these verses, Paul talks about the overseers who, those are the elders. Their function is to oversee the church. And so they're called overseers. And he says the overseer then must be without reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, of a sober mind, orderly, hospitable, apt to teach, and so on. A number of items here. And then he talks about the deacons, those who serve in the church. And even the uh, some women who are serving in the church, you might call them uh, deaconesses, and how they are to be and behave and so forth. Uh, among these first 13 verses, I think uh, the one that's most striking to me is verse 9, which says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. To me, this implies that the conscience is a container. It holds something. Here it says, holding the mystery of the faith. Uh, but yes, our conscience is a holder, a container. And that means if we don't take care of our conscience by confessing to the Lord when our conscience is bothering us, then Satan can actually come in and um, take advantage of us and accuse us before God and thereby puncture our conscience. And whatever's contained in our conscience will leak away. Things like our boldness before God, our boldness before people, uh, our subjective faith. These are things that are contained in our conscience, and when our conscience is not taken care of, um, Satan accuses us and, in a sense, punctures our conscience, and all these things leak away. So we have to be careful. And Paul talked about this in chapter 1 about the matter of becoming shipwrecked regarding the faith. So we have to be careful. But now, moving on to the last three verses of this chapter. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Uh, this is the most crucial portion of the four books of First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. By this point, Paul has covered the matters of the differing teachings, the dispensation of God, the need for the leading ones to have a prayer life so that all the other brothers may follow, and the charge to the sisters to remain in faith, love, and holiness with sobriety. Uh, in addition, uh, he talks about the elders uh, and that they have been established and the deacons have been appointed uh, so a church that has all these characteristics is certainly wonderful. But now, in verse 15, Paul tells us that the church is the house of the living God, the pillar and base of the truth. Then, in verse 16, he goes on to declare, And confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness, who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In these verses, Paul presents an extremely high standard for the church. 
Here he says, first of all, the church is the house of God. The Greek word rendered house may also be translated household. It's the same word that's used uh, in that chapter in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 12. The household, the family of God, is the house of God. The house and the household are one thing. That is the assembly of the believers. The reality of this house, as the dwelling place of the living God, is actually in our spirit. We saw that back in Ephesians chapter 2. This means we have to live and act in our spirit so that God can be manifested in this house as the living God. Um, You know, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the temple, which was the dwelling place of God at that time, and the family of God uh, were two separate things. But in the fulfillment... In the New Testament, the dwelling place and the family are one. The family is God's dwelling place, and God's dwelling place is his family. Now, he doesn't just say the house of God, the church is the house of God. He says the house of the living God. The living God who lives in the church must be subjective to the church rather than merely objective. An idol in a heathen temple is lifeless. But but listen the God who not only lives but also acts, moves, and works in his living temple, the church, is living. He's not a lifeless idol. He's the living God. And because he is living, the church is also living in him, by him, and with him. A living God and a living church live, move, and work together. So this is how the church becomes the manifestation of God in the flesh. Well, speaking metaphorically, Paul mentions here that the church is the pillar and base of the truth. The truth refers to all the real things which are revealed in the New Testament concerning Christ and the church. And so a a local church should be such a building that holds bears, and testifies the truth, the reality of Christ and the church. Now, in verse 16, he begins with the word and, and confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness. And that little conjunction, and, in verse 16, it indicates that Paul has not finished speaking about the church in verse 15. Oh, the church is is a great matter. It is the house of the living God. It's the pillar and base of the truth. But now we see it's the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. Um, Well, according to the context here, godliness refers not only to piety, but to the living God in the church. That is, God as life lived out in the church. The church is the house of the living God, and as the pillar and base of the truth, it may not seem so mysterious, but the church as the manifestation of God in the flesh certainly is a mystery. You know, a mystery always goes beyond our understanding. It refers to something which 
which cannot be explained, or it's hard to explain. But this is a mystery, the mystery of godliness. Godliness refers to God expressed. Now in verse 16, it might surprise you that Paul suddenly uses the relative pronoun who when he says who was manifested in the flesh. Great is the mystery of godliness. Who was manifested in the flesh? The Greek uh, in, in the Greek, the antecedent of this relative pronoun is omitted, but easily recognized. That is Christ, who was God, manifested in the flesh as the mystery of godliness. This means that the mystery of godliness is a person. It's not merely a matter. And as we're going to see here, this person is Christ as the head with his body. Okay, so first of all, God manif uh, God was manifested in the man, Jesus Christ. And this man, Jesus Christ, was the expression of God. He lived out God. He expressed God. God was manifested in the flesh through him. And he was vindicated in the spirit. Both at the time of his incarnation, during his human living, and in his ascension, he was vindicated. He was justified, proved, and approved as right and righteous by the spirit. We can look at a lot of verses on this. He was manifested in the flesh, but he was vindicated in the spirit. And he was seen by angels, Paul says here. Angels saw the incarnation of Christ. They saw his human living. They saw his ascension. And then Christ was preached among the nations. And then it says, believed on in the world. And then finally, it ends here with taken up in glory. This refers to Christ's ascension into glory. But now listen to this. According to the sequence of historical events, Christ's ascension preceded his being preached among the nations. But here in, in Paul's verse 16, it's listed here as the last event on Christ being the manifestation on, of God in the flesh. So this seems to indicate the church taken up in glory. In other words, the rapture of the church at the Lord's second coming. So it implies that not only Christ himself as the head, but also the church as the body is the manifestation of God in the flesh. When a church is well taken care of according to the instructions given in the first couple of chapters, then the church becomes the continuation of Christ's manifestation of God in the flesh. Wow, what a view of the church that we see presented here in the last couple of verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. My goodness. Wonderful.